You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. This episode is a highlight clip from this week's full episode. To listen in on the complete conversation, see the show notes for the link to the complete show. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate every bit of your support. I'm Morgan McKittrick, your producer, and this is Decidedly. somebody decide that they even want to go talk to a psychotherapist? What is that triggering event that you've seen or what is the precipitating event that, that causes people to say, I want to go talk to Emily or I want to talk, talk to somebody like that? Sure. And there's a variety of reasons. Obviously, there are some people who just really are curious about themselves and curious about life. And so they come in because they want to learn more about themselves and understand themselves better. But by and large, a lot of people do end up coming to therapy because of a tragedy or a personal crisis or a set of mental health symptoms that are um, new to them. I know that you, uh, a lot of your listeners are leaders or business owners and uh, individuals that are very high performing. I find that they tend to come in, um, and this is an overgeneralization, but towards the tail end of their 30s, their 40s, and a lot of times they are finding that they are anxious when they have never felt anxious before, or they're having panic attacks, or they're facing burnout. Um, and so many of them have been able to truck through and plug on in life and follow a course they've set for themselves. And then all of a sudden feel themselves kind of astounded to be struggling for the first time in their life. In their That's awareness. interesting. What is, what is uh, what's typically causing that? Well, that depends that, that on change. the person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That depends on the person. For a lot of individuals who are very high performing, they are able to... Um, streamline their life in a way where they're able to zero in on business and performance and meeting goals. And unfortunately, a lot of the cost has come at the expense of themselves where they're able to turn down the dial on themselves personally to be able to ignore the feedback that they're getting so that they can keep performing. And on one hand, that's beautiful. That's, That's wonderful. That allows them to achieve. And also there's a cost to it. And a lot of times the cost bubbles up a little later on in life. And so a lot of people who come to me uh, say, well, I've never felt anxious before. I've never had a panic attack. Am I breaking? And it's the first (laughs) time that really their symptoms are, are pushing through to a level that they're not able to ignore for the first time. And actually, when we sit down and do some digging, Turns out they have felt anxious before and didn't know that's what it was. Because ah, so, they're so able to go right back to this, um, right back to work, right? Yep. And, push and have that fill that hole and push it down. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. So, so do you think that it's it's sort of the cumulative effect of sort of pushing away the social feedback that people are getting? In other words, if I'm focusing on my business, I'm focusing on high achieving, I, I'm probably getting some some cues from my social circles that I'm ignoring because I'm just, I'm focusing, I'm single-mindedly focusing on these, these things of, you know, that I'm wanting to achieve goals that I'm wanting to achieve. And do you think it's the compounding effect of these things sort of building up over time and eventually the dam's going to break, or is it just a maturation process where somebody is becoming now more 
self-aware or were conscious of how do I create more self-improvement that they may not have been aware of in their 20s and early 20s. I mean, it could be both, really. Um, a lot of times, oddly enough, you know, you were referencing the social feedback from individuals and most people, at least in a high achieving person's life, uh, often their closest friends and family don't realize they're struggling until the dam fully does break because they are so good at conducting themselves and showing up professionally. Um, they're seen as being the strong person. They are the givers. And so it's not uncommon for people in their closest circle to even be be shocked that the individual is struggling. So I've seen that, you know, professionally as a financial advisor, you know, and I've been doing this about 32 years. And one of the things that I have seen is some of that phenomenon where people will come in and there are people who have been financially successful. Uh, those are typically the people that, that come see me. And yet at the same time, there will be, and, and primarily it's the husband in the relationship who doesn't want to relinquish control. There's mm -hmm. this reluctance to say, I've been successful. I've been doing things well. I don't want somebody else taking over what I've been doing historically, the investing or the uh, fund allocation towards goals or prioritization of those types of things. And do you see that in the same case where somebody is high achieving? They say, hey, what I've, what I've been doing is working. Maybe I don't, I, I, I don't want to come talk to somebody about these struggles, or I don't want to reveal to people that I even have this weakness. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not, you know, they yeah. want to seem invincible. Yeah, and it's not uncommon. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear uh, somebody say, well, I, I don't do good asking for help, or I, I can't ask for help. Um, and even the need for me not to see them as too weak or whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real act of courage for many, especially high achievers to come and say, Hey, something's not working for me and mm -hmm. to make matters worse for many individuals who are very high achieving, very high success. In some ways they have learned that their anxiety is also their fuel. So to yeah. relinquish anxiety, they, if they are not anxious, they feel that they will become complacent. Yes. They fear becoming yes. complacent. I, I, I have shared that with my friends before where I was like, I was talking with a, a group of other business owners where we get together each month and kind of just talk about our issues, uh, talk about our successes and in an environment where we know that we're talking with people who relate to us. And I was kind of working through this internal problem one time saying, I cannot escape this anxiety. Like the only thing that like will make it go away is if I just dive in and like take on a new project, you mm -hmm. know, work super hard, work long hours, you know, like, and when I do that, I feel good. I don't feel bad. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't do, I don't work till 10 PM and go, Oh, this stinks. I really hate this. I'm so anxious working till 10 PM. No, I go, I'm working to 10 PM. This is super fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said to them, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> loving this. And, and one of my friends asked me and they go, Oh, are you scared that if you solve this anxiety that you won't be productive anymore? And I said, yup. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. mm. So you're, you're seeing the, the anxiety is, is sort of your fuel. Is that going it, to it motivate you? Because you're, well, I think Emily, you don't want to be not nervous about it. I, I know that for me and, and for, some, for a lot of my friends, 
that is, we're at least aware that that's what motivates us. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I know that if I, I have this deep, I, I'm always thinking I'm not doing enough. So the only way to not think I'm not doing enough is to just do more. Do more. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then, and then, do I'm do- and then I've done more. And then everyone goes, oh, you're great. And I go, you're lying to me. And I go back mm-hmm. and like, no, you're not. It's not good enough. It's still not good enough. It never is good enough, but I keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I had some of the same issue on, you know, finding fuel for, for work. Mine, mine was, you know, might've been a bit negative, but I remember growing up that a lot of the, uh, the social circle that I interacted with, I felt like, and this may not have been true, came from more financial success than, than I did. And so that became the fuel. I said, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to achieve. And that became my fuel, this motivation, this competitiveness uh, that may not have been ultimately healthy, mm-hmm. but I found that fuel. And I, I guess, is that normal, Emily, that, that these types of fuels, you say, well, I, I don't know that I want to fix this. Mm-hmm. Well, there, You know, kind of like what Sanger was Yeah, saying. there's a lot of fear of letting go. I think if we could put that in a nutshell, there's a fear of releasing some anxiety. And on one hand... Um, bits of competition can be healthy, but a lot of times when there's competition involved, there's often a threat of a sense of self. Hey, there's enough room for all of us to be successful. We can all have a lot of money. We can all achieve. We can all perform. Um, and so there is a lot of fear of being beaten or someone doing better, or especially in the corporate world too, there's a, this kind, it can be kind of savage. Um, and so there's always somebody jockeying for a position that, and um, so yes, to relax or to be able to find that calm and not work from an anxious place can be really challenging. And again, it is kind of perceived as a threat because a lot of times when I have clients who say, well, do I keep working myself to the bone or do I just become complacent it's there's no middle ground for them it's either that they have to work themselves exhaustively to continue to achieve and if they aren't working themselves to the point of exhaustion then it must mean that they are becoming complacent or somehow going backwards and that's the piece that has to be tweaked that it's not so black and white so how do we overcome Mm -hmm. that because that resonates with me a lot Mm -hmm. like i i think about I, th- I have that conscious thought once a month at minimum where I think, okay, well, I could relax. And then this is the long list of everything I'd be given up. How would I ever become, how would I ever meet that next goal? How would I, I wouldn't have done this thing that I, I've, I've, you know, that I like, you know, um, I wouldn't have had this positive outcome. Um, and I think about like, oh, what if I just took it easy, work seven, eight hours a day, you know, 40 hours a week? No. No, I don't want that. <laughs> like Do I want to be lazy? <laughs> like, yeah. like a loser? Yeah. No, I mean, like, <laughs> like a loser. Yeah. And I, I obviously people make it work. And, and I have friends who, who are wildly successful and they probably work 20 hours a week. So, you know, they're just, just different, but I can't, you can't mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely something to be said about where these goals and ideals were created. I've had many people who sit down and say, okay, I, you know, decided when I was a teenager that I was going to go 
get my bachelor's and then I was going to get a graduate degree and I was going to get married somewhere within there and I needed to have a child by the time I was 29 and then my dream job is this by 31 and there are a lot of people that plot their course and they plot their course when they're very young and they hold to it very rigidly. They keep their head down in life yeah. and they just plug through and all of a sudden they pop up when they've achieved all the things they've wanted and they think, how did I get here? And why did I get here? Is Do I even like this life? And, and so there's something to be said about creating some space to understand why do I do what I do and allow ourselves to be curious about that. And there are some things that inevitably we're going to want to keep. And there's going to be some things that we want to readjust and to change. And there's something to be said about as we are moving through life and aging, do we allow our goals to mature with us? Do we allow our relationships to mature with us? Are we forcing ourselves to wear the same pair of pants that we purchased as a ninth grader? Well, they don't fit so well when we're 40. Yeah. So, you know, even creating space to reevaluate goals and what's important and priorities is so crucial. And also, why? Why, did, why were those things so important to us? And what do they say about who we are? And there's something to be said about detaching who we are and our worth from the things that we do and achieve. And it's very challenging to do, especially if our worth is so dependent on our achievements. Thanks for making the great decision to listen into this week's episode highlight. If you want more of what you just heard, see the show notes for the full episode. As always, for the latest decision-making tips, find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on Instagram at decidedlypodcast. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.